This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want you to go to the book of Matthew this morning and turn to chapter 4, if you would please. I want to use my time appropriately here. Matthew chapter 4. Actually, we're going to park in chapter 10. And uh, I, I promise you I'm not going to read all these chapters to get there, but I do want to draw attention to something as we ramp up to what we're going to look at in chapter 10, okay? So we're going to start in chapter 4 to begin with. We'll get started there. In chapter 4, I want you to notice something that uh, starts us off on the right pathway, beginning in, in verse 18, if you'll go there with me. It simply says there, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now you know this. This was their occupation. This is what they'd grown up doing. Their dad, their family uh, was involved with fishing. It was a great place to live there in Capernaum. It would be right out there on the Sea of Galilee. Now look at verse 19. And he, that would be Jesus, saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, many a church during a missionary conference, a missions conference, uh, uh, an emphasis upon uh, uh, the, the getting out the gospel when that emphasis is given, will use, will use this verse. Sometimes you may see it on a banner hanging up uh, in, the, in the background so that you can be reminded of it. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Great verse, great truth, but I want you just to stop on the first two words that Jesus said. Follow me. Next verse simply says in verse 20, and they straightway, that means immediately, left their nets and followed him. Don't let that phrase or that sentence pass you by. They immediately left their nets. What does that mean? It means that they were leaving that business behind and they were going to follow him. I mean, they were saying, count me, I'll be with you. Now it says in verse 21, and going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. <clears throat> and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Go over to chapter 9, if you would, please. Now, Matthew, of course, is the author of this particular book, and, uh, and Matthew's going to give a testimony right now in chapter 9 about what happened in his life. And he, he says in verse 9 of chapter 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, I don't want to park on this, but I want you to get the picture of it. What we've got here is it says there that Matthew was sitting at the receipt of custom, which was the place, the location where the, the tax collector, the, the major tax collector of that Capernaum area was seated. 
And there he was. He was collecting taxes of people who passed from the east to west and those who are traveling from north to south. Capernaum was a perfect place for a tax collector to, to hang out at because you had people passing at every uh, direction and you could stop them and charge them for the amount of uh, weight that they were carrying on their carts, how many, how many axles they had on their cart, if you please, and, uh, and even the fishermen coming in uh, from the Sea of Galilee. The weight of their fish, you could charge them taxes. And obviously you know this, that uh, these Roman... Uh, uh, these Roman-turned Jewish tax collectors could charge even a higher amount than what was due to the government so that they, as tax collector, could make a lot of money. And this sitting-at-the-receipt-of-custom tax collector was making more money than all the other lower-level tax collectors. So when Jesus said, follow me, he was leaving a major enterprise he was leaving a major spot of money-making for himself as well as the empire of Rome. And you can almost imagine that when, when Matthew stood up and immediately began to follow him, that all these other tax collectors from that area began to elbow their way in and fight for that major seat of receipt of custom. If he's going to leave, we want his place. Matthew was leaving it all behind to follow the Lord. Now, chapter 10, it says in verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, look at verse 2, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. Now you say, wait a minute, Morris, are they disciples or apostles? The answer, yes, they're both. Disciple means to be a student, a learner, a pupil, an apostle is someone who's sent with a message. He is a sent one with the message that he received as a disciple student. You get the picture? And so he was calling them both disciples and apostles. Now down to verse 24 of chapter 10. It simply says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye, upon the housetops. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts today. Thank you for what we've been already uh, ministered with and what we've been able to use, to, to use our mouths and voices to worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that we've had with one another. Now, Lord, I'm a guest. You, you know that, and I don't know, but just a handful of the folks here, but I pray that I'll get lost in people's viewing right now, but they'll get lost in the truths of the scripture. May they be consumed with it. May they be captured by it, arrested by it, and don't let me get in the way. I pray that you'll do your mighty work in our midst. We ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. The folks who were at the couples retreat were told this on a couple of occasions. Uh, I'm, I'm a Texan. I grew up in Texas. I live there now. I've come back to that place. I've lived all over the nation of, of America, but I've come back home uh, to, uh, to Texas. And it's a great place to live. I love it except for the fact that we've just been 
covered over with an incredible uh, winter weather here recently, but I love it. I grew up in the state of Texas during a time in which, well, have you ever met a Texan? Yeah, you say I have, and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I'm sorry about that, but when you grow up in Texas, you're, it's just drilled inside of you to the fact that you're from Texas, to be thankful for it and feel sorry for those who aren't. I don't know why. I'm sorry. It's just the way in which we were raised. It's just a, it, was just, it was just drilled into us. And there are several things that a Texan grows up with. Uh, one is that you're a Texan. Number two, uh, to, that you, you, you grow up watching all the, the shoot 'em up westerns on uh, black and white television programs where I told the couples where the good guy always would win and the bad guy always lost and so forth, and the acting was always pretty sad. But I mean, I mean you grew up watching all of those things, but there was another thing you grew up with in Texas, and that is a huge love of football. I mean, it is just, it's, it's worship there. It's, it's just big. I mean, it is a major thing. And so you grow, I mean, when you're born in Texas, they hand you a football. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. But I grew up, I think, at the wrong time. You say, why? Well, you know, coaches today have learned to deal with today's culture and today's young people, and they treat them a little more carefully, and they, they try to guide them with encouragement and with psychoanalysis and so forth. Well, I grew up at a time when football coaches all went to the school of, uh, of Saddam Hussein. I mean, they, 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 were, they were eight all, and I'm telling you, they demanded of us things that we just couldn't give. And I mean, they, they just, they would scream at us and mistreat us. And uh, I, I mean, it was, it was pretty rough. And we'd be, our face mask would be grabbed and, and we'd be pulled up. And coach couldn't do that today uh, and get by with it. But I mean, we would just be uh, treated in that harsh manner. And, and we would be told things like, hey, fellas, give me 110%. Okay. Now, all you got to do is know a little basic math and a little bit of the human anatomy to know that 100% is all that a person can give, but that coach was demanding of us more than what a person could normally give. And they would say things like, when the going gets, <laughs> when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Ooh. Isn't that inspiring? I mean, it just makes you want to go out and, you know, hit somebody, you know, in Christian love and just knock their head off, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, it just makes you want to just be brutal. All right, okay. What those coaches were demanding of us was to be, and here's my words, to be all in. To be consumed with what they were trying to teach us and, and, and consumed with winning the game, and they were demanding of us to be all in. Now, you know what that means to be all in. You know what it means. I mean, some of you are all in with your business. You're all in with maybe a hobby. I mean, it consumes your thoughts. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a constant companion, and you're thinking about it frequently. Um, you know what it is to be all in with your family, especially if you've got, still, you've got kids at home. I mean, it is a constant reminder of the responsibility to uh, raise kids and to, to, uh, and to take care of the home. I get it. I get it. You're all in maybe with a, 
with your exercise program and you're all in with your cars and your trucks and I mean you know every detail that's underneath that hood and I mean and you could talk for hours about it and you're maybe you're all in about garden out in the backyard and you're all in about garage sales and and you're all in about hunting now I'm getting close to somebody's heart I'm sure I mean you know what it is to be all in you know what it means you ever seen some? You ever watched a ball game on television, and you see the fans, especially in college sports. You'll see uh, somebody; they'll paint their face the colors of their of their of their team, and they're supporting them. Can you imagine? And just kind of painting up your face, and just just going crazy, and and spitting all over everybody as you scream and support your team. You've seen people can uh, all in for some political agenda, some political cause. They'll they'll stand on street corners waving a a, a flag and waving a banner and handing out uh, uh, information about uh, particular people that they want you to vote for. You know what it means to be all in. When Jesus was calling Matthew, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and all 12 of those guys to be his disciples, folks, there was no small print in the contract. Jesus was saying, you need to be all in. And I'm going to just tell you something point blank. I, I'm just here for one day, and so I hope not to upset anybody, but it's the truth. I'm, I'm traveling constantly from one end of America to another, and I love the privilege of my ministry. I really do. But can I tell you something? I've met a lot of people. Now, don't get mad at me. I've met a lot of people who attend church, go to church faithfully. And when they're not able to do so physically, they're watching online. I mean, they're, they're in church. They would say, man, I've been in church all my life. I've been in church nine months before I was ever even born. They give you the impression that they were born on the front row or something. I mean, mother just rolled over and said, here you go, pop, here you go. I mean, it was just like, I mean, I, I, this is my life. A lot of people have grown up in church. They're active in church. They're in, involved in church. But now, here's the truth. We have very few disciples. You say, what do you mean? Well, in the Bible sense of Christ's description of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We can sing, count me, but we don't live there. We get distracted. We get off track. You say, I'm not sure I'm following you. Well, Jesus is going to make it clear for you. It's not my opinion. It's not my philosophy. It's not some standard of somebody else that they live by. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say. Now, before I go any further, can I just make this very clear uh, to those online and those in this building? Before you can be all in, you've got to be in. The Bible speaks about being in Christ. You know, the truth is, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John, and in most of the book of Acts, those who were believers in Christ, what we would call today Christians, they were called disciples. That's what they were called. I could give you the number count. I mean, 60, 70 times per book. It's right in the middle of the book of Acts where the Bible says in chapter 11, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You see, prior to that time, they were called disciples. So here's my point. To, real, to, to, to talk about and to speak on the subject matter about being a follower of Jesus, to follow him and be his disciple, there's got to be that first step of getting into a relationship with God by way of Jesus Christ. You, you are, biblically speaking, you are, as a believer in Christ, you are a disciple. Now hear me, you may not be living a disciple's life. You may not be following the discipleship pattern, 
but you are a disciple based on the truths of the scripture. Has there ever been a time in your life in which you have recognized, I am not on my way to heaven. I'm not convinced, I'm not sure that Jesus is my Savior. You see, the Bible speaks about being in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new when you're in Christ. Uh, the book of Ephesians speaks frequently all over the first couple of chapters about being in the Lord, in Christ. And Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus and he was telling them, he was saying to them, you are a saint of the Lord because you are in Christ. There's been a time in your life when you recognized that you were outside of Christ and that God wants a relationship with you. He paved the way. He paid the price so that you could know that you are, you are on your way to heaven, your sins are forgiven, and you can have a relationship with Almighty God, Holy God. But the only pathway to get to that relationship is by way of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way. No man's going to come to the Father but by way of me. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter, the same shall be saved. Now, folks, I don't, even if you've known the Lord for a long time, this is, this is great truth, is it not? It is an amazing truth that holy perfection, our God says, I want you, sinful man, to be with me. Come be with me. I'll pay what you cannot pay. And he says to you today, come to me by way of Jesus. Have you ever done that? If you have not, you're among friends today. You're, 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 you're listening to someone who truly cares for you and this church cares for you. And I would plead with you to get help from somebody at this church if you're watching online or if you're in this building. We want you to come to know Christ this morning, would you? Now the rest of the message is going to be for those who've said, I have trusted in Jesus Christ. Go to verse 24, if you would please, in Matthew chapter 10. And notice what Jesus says. May I repeat, he leaves no small print in the contract. He doesn't call somebody to be his follower and then once he gets you signed on the dotted line, he says, I got you. Now, I'm going to you are going to be miserable doing. No, 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 to be a follower of Christ, he makes it clear on the front end what it means to be his follower. Verse 24, he simply says this, the disciple is not above his master nor is the servant above his Lord. Okay. We've already said that the word disciple is a word that means to be a student, a, a learner, a pupil. It says here that he's not above his master. Now, don't get the picture of a master as someone who's walking around with a whip and he's whipping uh, you know, his, his servants into submission. That's not the picture. The word master here is a word for master teacher. The idea there is that Jesus was a master teacher, a rabbi, and he was saying that his students are not above his his, his master teacher. If you and I could travel back into time, you would find that Jesus was not the only one who was a, a master teacher who walked around with his class, his disciples. I mean, that's what aggravated the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the other rabbis that many of their students who were bored out of their mind and were told constantly that they were not good enough to ever get to God and, uh, and that they've got to abide by man's belief structure, they finally begin to leave those teachers and begin to follow Jesus because nobody ever spoke like him. 
And they begin to follow him. Now follow this. Here's the point. Jesus said the student is not above his master teacher. Okay, what is he talking about? He's talking about the image that you would see in these classrooms. The classrooms are outdoors most of the time. And the teacher would sit maybe, I don't know, on a, on a rock or maybe just sit on, a, on some kind of a, a portico of some sort and then sitting at his feet would be his students, his disciples. And they would look up and they would listen to his words and they would glean instruction for their mind. You remember the story where Mary sat at the feet of Jesus as in Luke chapter 10 when she sat at his feet, that was the typical position of a true follower of Jesus. They would sit at his feet and sit up and look up and listen. Here's what Jesus is emphasizing. He's saying that if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my student, he says, here's the picture, you're going to need to be, here it is, teachable. And he says, you're going to need to be submissively teachable because the student is not above his master he's not going to tell the teacher what is important no no he is a student who's looking up and saying I need instruction from my teacher and he submits to him he leans forward he listens he hangs on to every word that the teacher is saying what's what what is this telling me and you it's telling us, my friends, listen, there needs to be this submission of our mind to our master teacher every time this book is opened and presented to us. Every time we read it privately, every time we're hearing the instruction of it in a small classroom, in a quiet place between us and the Lord, in a service wherever we're sitting with and listening to the word of God. In other words, there is a desire to learn. In other words, there is a hungering and a thirsting to glean, to glean and to gain more teaching from our master teacher. I say to you, listen, there's a lot of folks who attend church all their life, but they've stopped being teachable. Your good pastor said just a moment ago, be willing to open your heart. Be willing to hear things that you've probably heard many times before. Do you remember when David said in the Psalms, he said, as just like the deer, as the deer, as the heart, he called it, pants after water brooks. So panteth my soul after you, O oh God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. He said in Psalm 63, he said, O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. Like I was living in a dry and thirsty land. He was saying, I'm thirsty to know more about you. You ever been around someone who just recently came to know the Lord as Savior? I mean, they're just hanging on everything. Every song the choir sings is like, wow, man, that was incredible. Every special, it's like an arrow to their heart. Every song that you sing congregationally becomes another one of their favorite songs. They have 463 favorite songs uh, because of all the, the ministry of the music. And every time the pastor or a Bible teacher opens up the word of God and proclaims it, they sit there and they go, how, how, how did he know? Was he parked out in front of my house? Has he been watching me? Is he, I mean, that's exactly what I needed. Everybody else left. I just needed this. What is that? That's hungering to know more about God. They'll come up to their 
uh, spiritual leaders, their pastors, and they'll say, have you got just a few minutes? And they know, and leaders, oh, here goes the next 45 minutes, because they say, i got a few questions. I've been seeking some things from the scriptures that I need to have answers for. They're hungering for God. And the only thing that concerns me is they get around people who've been around it for years. They're not hungering and thirsting for it like they used to. Now, thank the Lord there is advancement and growth in our Christian life. John said in 1 John, he referred to the believers as children, young men, and fathers. So there is advancement. But Peter made it clear, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Keep hungering and thirsting after him. I don't know about you, but there have been many a time I've been reading my Bible and my mind is off running somewhere about things I've got to do. And I've had to stop and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've gotten distracted by all the fleeting butterflies in my thought life. I'm going to lock in on you. I'm going to hang on what you're saying to me because I want to be your follower. I want to submit my mind. He goes on to say, nor is the servant above his Lord. He's talking about employee-employer relationships. Not only are we to submit our mind as a student, we're to submit our wills, our bodies as servants of his. That's the picture. The idea there is, Lord, I'm hanging on everything you say. Now, I'm your servant. I'll do anything you tell me to do. It's like a song that we used to sing. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Just to hang on his words and to obey what he has to say. You know, John, uh, James made it clear. James, was, James uh, in his epistle was like, he was straight to the point. Uh, there was no missing the point with James. He said, he said, some people come to the word of God. Remember that he said in James 1, he said, uh, don't just be a, a hearer of the word of God, but be a doer. What was he saying? He was saying, lock in on the truths and apply it to your life. He said, because there are some people who come to the word of God and they, they look at it, it's like a glass, a mirror. They come to the mirror of God's word and then he says, and they straightway forget what manner of man they were. Or what does he mean? He says, they come to the mirror of God's word and then they go, uh-huh, I'm fine. And they face the day without any remembrance of what they've heard. But he said, there are some people, this man is blessed in his life who comes to the mirror of God's word and here's the way he put it, they continue therein. The words continue therein mean they lean into the mirror. They see things that, that need to be applied in their life. I, I've said it for years and probably I've said it and preached it to your young people at one of these harvest rallies. It's the difference between a, a teenage guy and a teenage girl when they get up in the morning. A teenage guy, when he gets up in the morning, he's got one thought in mind. One, food. That's the only thing he's thinking about. I mean, it's been about seven or eight hours since he last had something to eat. I mean, he's about to shrivel up, he thinks. And so he's thinking Captain Crunch. He's thinking about six eggs. And he's thinking about half of a hog and, uh, and a half a loaf of bread for toast. I mean, he's thinking, I'm, I'm starving. And so he goes into, the, into uh, the, the kitchen area, the dining area, and he's, he's diving into whatever he can. He's hungry. Then he realizes what time it is. He says, I've I got to get ready for school. And he goes back to uh, his, uh, his uh, bathroom, his restroom to get ready to go. He goes and he looks in the mirror and he goes, yeah, I'm fine. And he just goes on and he faces the day. 
You've seen teenage guys like that? Don't look at anybody right now and say, that sounds like you, man, you know. He says, I brushed my teeth yesterday. I'm all right. I'm okay. But a teenage girl? Oh, completely different story. Now, they may be hungry, but when they get up in the morning, they got one thought in mind. Damage control, you know. <laughs> what have I got to do to face the day, man? And they go into that bathroom and they look at themselves and all across the globe, you'll hear teenage girls, ah! as they start realizing what they got to do and drawers begin to open and things begin to get plugged in and smoke begins to billow up in the bathroom coming out underneath the door. Machines begin to be cranked up. I mean, she's got to face the day, man. And she puts on her face. What in the world did she do with it beforehand? And, and, then, and then she walks out and she says, well, you just, got, you just got me as I am. Uh, I'm not real sure about that. Well, okay, that's the person who continues therein. They continue in the word of God. Which, which, which crowd are you in? Are you somebody who just comes to the church house, hears the Bible and go, that was good, that was informative. Or is it transformative? When the truth is, when you're, a, when you're all in, I'm a follower of Jesus. You're teachable, submissively teachable. Quickly, verse 25 says, Jesus says, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. It's like Jesus is drawing a line in the proverbial sand and he's saying, bottom line, you're going to be my follower, guys? I've called you to be my students. He goes, let me tell you what's involved. It's enough. This is bottom line truth that you be as your master. Uh, the words that he be is written in a, in a sense that what he is saying, and they got it, he was saying that he be becoming. There is a process of something going on. The old biological term that we heard when we were in uh, much younger classes, the term is metamorphosis. There is a metamorphosis going on. There is a becoming coming about. That he be becoming as, the word as means like, his master. So when you're becoming, when, you're, when you are saying, I'm, I'm all in, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus, not only are you teachable, but friends, listen, you're also transfigured, visibly transfigured. You're submissively teachable and you're visibly transfigured. You know what it's talking about? That you are in a process of becoming like Christ. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, as we sang just a few moments ago. Is that the cry of your heart? Disciples are those who are saying, I want to be like him. Hey, Dad, Mom, young people, young adults, Singles, retired people. Do people see Jesus Christ in you? Is there a godliness to your character that is obvious by, by your actions, reactions, responses, language, lifestyle choices? We live in a world, honestly, that's a fallen world. I hope you know that. And this fallen world that we live around is not supposed to be 
in us. We're in the world, but it's not supposed to be in us. And this fallen world is it's so deeply corrupted by sin and its depraved condition. If, if you are immersing your mind and your life in everything that the world throws in front of you, and that is your process of thinking all the time, don't think that you can come swimming out of that and be unscathed. We're in this world, but not to be of this world. It's like being in a boat. We're in the water, but the water can't be in the boat. You've heard those. It was uh, Robert Murray McShane who said, it is not great talents that God blesses as much as great likeness to Jesus. And our families and our church and the people that don't even know the Lord need to see in us a becoming like Christ, a growth of Christ's likeness. Come on, what are we in? We're still in the month of February. We're not too far removed from the beginning of this year, and I still see the commercials from time to time. You know what we're, you know what we're bombarded with at the beginning of every new year? Commercials for exercise programs and diet programs, are we not? Why? Well, because we just came out of the holidays back in December and even all the way back to Thanksgiving. I mean, you know, and, and everybody ate like they were never going to have food again, you know, and, and somebody watches a commercial. They see some guy on an exercise machine and he's got muscles just rippling all over him and so forth. And, and the guy says, I, I got I to gotta get that machine, man. I, I, eat a, I eat a whole pie at Christmas. Every day I eat a whole pie. And I'm twice the man I used to be. And I got to get that machine. And so man, you'll fork out that cash and get that machine to the house. And you pull it out and you figure out how to do it. And you, and you get on it and you work out with it. And you, you do it for a while. And then after a few days, it becomes something for your wife to dry clothes on. And, and you hang a coat on, on one of the arms of the machine, you know, because why? You get tired of doing it. Here's the point. The point is you got talked into saying, I want to be like that guy on that commercial. I want to look just like him. And, and they say, just three times a week, 15 minutes at a time. You too can lose 54,000 pounds and you too can look like this guy. And you say, I got to have it, you know. You want to be transformed into that image on a TV screen. Now look, we get talked into those things. This is nothing to be arm twisted into. This ought to be the pursuit of a child of God's life. I want to be more and more like my Savior. And I'm trying to be like this world. Be not conformed to this world and like the age in which we live in. I want Christ to be seen in me. And when our kids are growing up, they need to say, I'll tell you one thing about my dad. He walks with God. I'll tell you one thing about my mom. Oh, she's a great mom, great cook, and I love her. But I'll tell you one thing. She reminds me of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And grandkids ought to look at grandparents and say, my grandparents, they're great people. Their car's always clean. I mean, they don't have French fries down in the... And, and they always got money to buy ice cream. And I can get anything I want out of my grandparents. I love them! But I'll tell you one thing about my, my grandparents. They remind me of Jesus. And they may not put it in those words, but it needs to be in their heart. A person who's a follower of Jesus is a person who is saying... I want to be like him. I'm not talking about having externals. 
I'm talking about an internal metamorphosis that's changing. How does that happen? By being submissively teachable and learning from his word. We are submissively teachable. We're visibly transfigured. And I don't have time to preach it, but look at verse 25. Jesus said, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Here it comes. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Quickly. The term Beelzebub was a harsh, mean, it was a vile word. Of course, we know that it's also a term to refer to Satan himself. But it would be the most harsh of terms to call somebody. It was just a, a it, was, it was obscene. And so Jesus is saying, if they're going to call the master of the house by that term, and you're his servant, you're his follower, and you're his student, he was saying, don't think that you're going to get off scot-free without being called names too. I wish I could avoid this point, and I'm not going to stay parked on it for very long. But if you're going to be all in for Jesus, you're going to know trouble. You're going to be painfully troubled. You're going to know what it is to have, you're going to know what it is to be mocked, persecuted, ridiculed. Your, your motives may be misunderstood. You're going to have times in which people will leave you alone and you're going to feel lonely. You're going to feel abandoned. There are going to be people who maybe gossip about you, say things about you that are not true and twist things. Persecution, adversities, they come and they're perplexing. It's like, why did this have to happen? I point you back to Job. Job was a true, all-in follower of God. The Bible itself describes him as one who feared God and hated evil. He was all in as a follower of God. And yet he went through some harsh, harsh times. And even those who didn't understand him was ridiculing him, trying to correct him. And when you're all in for the Lord, there's going to be times in which persecution is going to come and it's going to be perplexing, but it's not without a purpose. It's a part of God's carving into you his life. And I will say this and move on. The sufferings of life that are allowed, and they're all allowed by our loving Father, the sufferings of life increase our ability to worship him. You'll really know worship when you've gone through trials. It'll cause you to be more patient with other people because of the hardships in your own life. You'll be more forgiving. You'll be more prone to be forgiving and gracious to people because of the hardships you yourself have gone through. Jesus was saying, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to be all in. You're going to be painfully troubled at times. There's one more thing. Would you look at verse 27? He says in verse 27, what I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. I used to read that and I used to think, what? What is, what's this preaching from a housetop? What's he talking about? Here's what Jesus was saying. He says, that which I have told you in darkness. Now, what does that mean? He's talking there about times in which it's just you and him. 
when it's times of teaching, you're sitting in a church service, you're sitting in a Sunday school class, you're sitting alone with your, your, your Bible, you're going through the experiences of life, and you sense that the Lord is talking directly to you. He's saying there are going to be times in which I'm speaking directly to you, and it's as if nobody else is around. You're in a place where it's just me and you. He said, you take what I've given you, and then you proclaim it in the light. In other words, you tell others what I've told you. Then he says, he goes, and that which I have spoken to you or what you hear in the ear. He's talking about whispering. He's saying what you have heard in the ear, what I have whispered to you in a gentle tone, as if, again, I have just whispered it to you. Nobody else heard it, but I've spoken to you. He goes, you proclaim it on the housetops. Now, is he talking about climbing up on people's houses and yelling down in their chimneys? No. He's talking about a boldness. He's talking about a courage. He's talking about a proclamation of the Bible truths that he's given you. He's talking about telling others. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Well, what he says here is if you're going to be all in with me, you're going to be boldly telling what others, what others need to hear about me. He's talking about being a witness. He's talking about being verbal. He's talking about being courageous. He's talking about being outspoken. He's talking about declaring your allegiance. He's talking about calling others to be a follower of Christ. He's talking about warning people about eternal disaster. He's talking about being my representative on the front lines. There's no secret service agent as a disciple of Christ. There's no undercover agent where I've got to blend in and not let anybody know where I stand. A true disciple is someone who's not ashamed to sing about him to speak out for him, to testify of him, to pray to him, to walk with him and let others know. I'm not talking about being, Jesus is not talking about being rude. He's not talking about grabbing people at work and throwing them up against the wall and saying, let me tell you something, pal. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about taking the opportunities and the open doors that are given to us to speak up for him not be ashamed of it. When I was a teenager, I was attending, I was watching some of my buddies play a baseball game. My team wasn't playing at the time. I was watching some other guys play. I was probably about 16 at the time. And I was sitting with some other buddies in the bleachers and, and you know, just up there, you know, just, just watching the game. And all of a sudden, some of the things that were being said there in the bleachers became a little inappropriate. I don't even remember what was being said. I just remember being uncomfortable. God was working in my heart during those years about being his follower. And I remember sitting there in the bleachers thinking, I'm uncomfortable with the direction of things that were being said. There were some teenage girls sitting among us, and I was thinking, they don't need to hear this, and I don't want to hear it. I didn't know exactly how to handle it. Finally, I just said, Guys, I'm going to head to the house. I, didn't, I just didn't want to be there. I jumped over the back part of the bleachers and I started walking home. My home was about, about two and a half miles away. I just started walking home. And as I was walking home, I'll, I'll never forget what I was doing. I was, I, was, I was praying passionately with tears to the Lord. And I was saying, Lord, I don't want to live like that anymore. Those guys are my friends, but I said, 
the language and the conversation makes me uncomfortable. And I said this, surely there's a better way to live than that. I don't want to live like that anymore. By the time I got to my house, I took my Bible, something I didn't normally do during the week, and I opened it up to the Psalms. I just have always loved the Psalms, and I began to read some of the Psalms. And I remember putting the Bible down on the floor of our living room. I was there by myself. I put my hands on the Bible, and I fell, I fell down on the floor just completely down flat. And I said, God, as best I know how, I give you my life. I don't even know what I'm saying exactly, but I just know this. I don't want to live the way I've been living. Change me any way you need to. I didn't say I'm all in, but that's what my heart was saying. You say, well, la-dee-da, good for you. Have you ever departed from that commitment? Are you kidding me? Countless times I've fallen and drifted away. That's why I've had to re-enlist multiplied times and say, Lord, I'm signing up to be your disciple again. Could that be what you need to do this morning? To Say, God, I'm just all in. I'm going to give everything to you. You can do anything you want to with me. You say, I've done that before. Yeah. But maybe you heard something today that you need to re-enlist again about. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed, would you just stand with me? Let's just all stand. I, I didn't get from Pastor exactly how he normally would an invitation, but I'm going to take an opportunity for God's people to seek the Lord for just a moment or two. Our time, my time is gone. It could be that you need to get on your knees. It could be that you need to find a place here at the front and just say, Lord, I'm all in. I want to be your disciple. It may be that that's what you need to find a place to do. It may be that you need to sit back down and lean over the pew in front of you and say, dear God, I'm going to follow you. I want to be with you completely and I, won't, I don't care who knows it. You may be a teenager, you may be a mom, a dad, you may be a single. You may be at home watching and listening online. Maybe right there on your, by your couch or your chair. You just need to get on your knees and say, God, I'm re-enlisting. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the instrument or instruments to begin playing whatever song has been selected. The time there will be for you, a verse or two, then I'll turn it back over to your pastor to close as he sees fit. You find a place. Would you sit down and pray? Would you get on your knees and pray? And say, God, I'm all in. Father, I ask you right now to help us to do the right thing. I pray with all my being that you'll help us to recognize, Lord, the great maximum way to live to be your disciple. Lord, there's no better way to live than that. Help us to, help us to literally be someone who leaves our nets behind and follow you with everything we've got. We ask your anointing upon the conclusion. We ask it in your wonderful name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us 
at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.